Greetings everybody. It's a great blessing for me to minister to you today. Today is Mother's Day and we are thinking of what God has brought forth in this world through mothers, through ladies that has just given birth to all of us. And I want to just say that I just pray for an absolute blessed special day for all the mothers and that you will just feel so encouraged today. And as I was thinking of um, just Adam and Eve and I thought of what Adam I mean when he named Eve he said she, she shall be called Eve for she is the mother of all the living it is such a powerful statement it just talks about the life that there is in this world and um, everybody that has life comes through a mother you need a mother and that mother is much more than just uh, biology it's about somebody caring for you loving you so on this uh, Sunday we are thinking of all of our mothers and we want to just say thank you for who you are and what you've done in this world and um, I'm very grateful to Helena and uh, just what a mom she has been to my sons I'm grateful for my mother although she's not with us anymore I'm very grateful for her and my mother-in-law and how she has brought forth uh, Helena and cared for her and loved on her and taught her what she knows and has just been good to her. Thank you so much for just who you are. I would like to pray for the moms right now and just everybody slotting in and as we are gathering around the gospel, I would like for all of us, let us just in prayer uh, pray for our mothers. It is just a wonderful, wonderful day. Now this morning I woke up and I was just thinking of, um, you know, Mother's Day, Heliana, my mom, my mother-in-law, and just how life works, how God has decided to bring what is in heaven, in the Godhead, in the, what we would call the Trinity, how he's brought that whole family logic into the here and now, and that we can, what is spiritual, see, we can see that pattern and that whole flow and that reality and that truth manifest in the here and now uh, through types and shadows and more than types and shadows it's a reality of the heavenly family showing in the here and now isn't that absolutely beautiful so let us just gather as a family and we're just going to pray for our mothers father thank you so much that you have decided to share the life that you live with us right here it is a mystery when we see how family works and we know it is a type and a shadow of what is true in heaven and how your kingdom is flowing into this physical world. And Father, thank you that we can have what is true in heaven so tangible right around us. Thank you for uh, the fact that we can share in family life. Thank you for our mothers. I thank you, Lord, that we can lift them up to you today in prayer and we can say that they are blessed. They are blessed um, just in playing that role of family in this world as you have come to bring it forth. Father, thank you that I can just declare over them an understanding, a greater understanding of how high, how wide, how deep, and how long your love for them is. And may they in this day just continue to experience your presence, your life, and your love as they have in, in the years that has flown. But today, 
just even more. I thank you, Father, that we can just make it special for them in whatever way we can do. Thank you that we can just have this appreciation for them and see what you are doing as we are beholding them. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Isn't that absolutely awesome? For all of you that have slotted in for a very first time in our web church, thank you so much for allowing me to serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ. The platform of, uh, or the structure of the message that I'm going to have today is going to be very simple. I'm just going to have it in two parts. I'm going to encourage uh, all of our listeners and then have a short piece of teaching at the end where I'm uh, speaking from Romans chapter 10. I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I said last week from Romans chapter 10 and we're going to just look at verse 1 to 5. But the main focus of today's message is going to be encouragement. So um, let us just start off right away. You know, we are going through this pandemic, which has turned out to be much more than a pandemic. It's also turned out to be a political race to see who's going to be the one that can make use of this pandemic in the best way for him politically. It's turned out to be a situation where a lot of people are losing their jobs, especially in South Africa. The forecast is they are talking about 7 million jobs that will be lost. And that will bring our unemployment to about 40-something percent, which is crazy. Uh, it is something that brings a lot of fear to people's hearts. A lot of people today are, um, don't know, are they going to go back off this lockdown to have a job or not? Especially, I'm thinking of people, especially in South Africa, that are, that are worried people whose children are scared that cannot even living in absolute fear not knowing is their parents going to have money or not or are they going to get this coronavirus uh, what, what's going to go on and a lot of fear in people's hearts and I'm, I'm not talking about just the people in the church but I'm talking in general this message is to encourage you that are in our church as well as uh, something that you can send to friends that can encourage them. You might know people that are not having the message of the resurrection, the message of the grace of God, uh, as something they meditate on every day, uh, where they just meditate on the news, where they meditate on what is coming through the television screen or through the news media. I heard somebody say, no, he's not watching TV anymore. Uh, and it looked like a wonderful thing. He's not watching TV anymore. He says now, and basically boiled down to he's getting his news via his phone. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> you are being bombarded with the things of this world, the news of this world, and not all of us can handle that. That information is, for a lot of us, too much. We don't know how to handle all of that. You know, I said to a friend of mine, the, I think it was yesterday, um, we aren't made to handle so much information. I don't think that when God made man, he has made us to carry as a burden in our hearts, the death of thousands upon millions of people in the world. You know, years and years ago, before there was all the news media, you would have to deal maybe with the death of your father and your mother and some friends and maybe, um, you know, s s some, some people in town there, you know, uh, in the good days, unless you've been to a war and you had to deal with that and that was very very traumatic but through the news media today we carry the deaths of all people in our hearts and in our minds every day 
all of a sudden the problems that was that of a president becomes the problems of the world and we need to think through and sift through and, and handle all of this. And we don't always know how to handle that. Now, I want to uh, encourage you from the scripture today. If you are a person that lives in absolute fear, you don't know what to do. You, you're facing the end of your business. You, um, I think in South Africa, they, they're talking about the closing down of 80 wine farms, 80 wineries closing down. Now, uh, some might say, hallelujah, you know, the alcohol is, has stopped. Uh, yes, on the other side, we also find thousands of people in that industry working, having jobs that provide for their wives and children. And they sit with fear in their heart, not knowing what to do. And you might not know, is this going to happen to you? Now, I just have some very simple encouragement for you from the scripture today. I want to go to um, Psalms 112. It says, surely, talks about uh, a good man. And this is uh, Psalm 112, verse 5. I forgot again to, to share the screen. I'm sorry, I can't set it up now. But uh, Psalm 112, verse 5, it says, A good man shows favor, and he lends, and he will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely, he shall not be moved forever. So yes, something might happen that want to move you. We might go through a bit of a difficult time, but it says, Surely shall not be moved forever. His righteousness shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Yes, there might come things that feels if it can move us a bit, but we will not be moved forever. And we are not afraid of bad news. Why are we not afraid of bad news? Because our trust is in the Lord. Our trust is in the Lord. In this week I put a post on Facebook. You can just go and search it out there. And what I basically said there, and this is what came to my heart, is when our trust is in the Lord, we are beholding Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. We are not beholding our problem and then praying, having Jesus in the back of our minds to sort out our problem. No, our eyes is not on how Jesus sorts out the problem. Our eyes are fixed on the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I think that is what the psalm writer has in mind here. My heart is not moved, for I am having my heart fixed on Jesus. Let us read it again here. It says, The righteous shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is not moved. He's trusting in the Lord. Now that is very simple. We are trusting in the Lord and we are not afraid of bad news. Some people say, what if bad news come? Well, bad news can come. We're not afraid of bad news because we are trusting in the Lord. What if the bad news come that I've now, I don't have a job? We are trusting in the Lord. The scripture is clear. Many people in Jesus' time was as much stressed out about the normal things of the world, politics and all those things, just as what we are. And Jesus, knowing politics, knowing how money works, knowing the normal cares of this world, knowing all those things, he came and he said something very simple. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Look 
at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all his, in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. What, what was he saying? He was saying this. Solomon in all his glory, did, he, he got all the money he had. He did everything he did through hard work. He did it through taxation and all those kind of things. There was a lot of the effort of man involved in there. But these lilies and these birds, they only live by what God graces them with. They live by the upkeep of God alone. And then Jesus explains to us on how we are provided for in this world. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Are we not of greater worth? You see, the fact that our businesses work, the fact that we can do what we do. The fact that we have a job is not our job providing for us. It is our God that provides for us and now we have a job. So if we lose this job, the source that provides the job has not changed and can never change. He's the uh, unchangeable God, the one that provides forever, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, that has no beginning and no end. That means that his provision doesn't have a beginning where it started because of something you've done. He is a provider in his being. And his provision can therefore never end. Who he is can never end. And he has come and decided to express who he is towards you. Glory to God. You might say, but there are other people. Look how God provides for them financially. And they are now rich and I don't have. God has blessed that man and through him he's going to bless you. <laughs> that is how it's worked. Look at the case of a Joseph. There was a massive famine that came over the land and God raised Joseph up and gave him the interpretation of the dreams that was given to the Pharaoh. And they, they basically provided for the whole known world in that time, in the time of famine. And God was caring for all people. And in the very same way, it will be with you. The thing that can bring us fear is to have our trust in what we possess. But let us put our focus on Jesus. Let us put our focus on Jesus. And each one of us that do have, let us follow the generosity in our hearts towards those that are around us. Not taking the burden on us that we must be God providing for all people. We just do what God puts in our heart. And that's it. And live from the influence of God's love towards us and towards others. That is it. As simple as that. So I want to say to you that if we look at Psalm 112, it says clearly that surely the righteous shall not be moved. And who are the righteous? The righteous is not those that have done everything the law says. The righteous are those who God bless. How we have been made the righteousness of God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are the righteous. So what can you expect? We can come at a place where we say, God, I'm looking at the Lord. I'm looking at the, fa the fact that death was conquered. I'm looking at the fact that I stand righteous before you. I'm looking at the fact that your goodness and your faithfulness uh, is expressed towards me in you keeping your promise that you have towards me 
And I mean, we're going to look at different passages today, looking at how God is good to us. Yes, I'm not saying that there is not hard work sometimes, where we in our businesses work hard and those kind of things. Uh, if I let just look at myself in ministry, yes, I do spend a lot of time studying and reading and praying about things and looking at scriptures and, and all those kind of things. It's not as if as if everything just falls from the sky. Yes, we do practical things, but the revelation that comes as I study cannot be bought with money. It is something that is given by God. In the very same way, as you were, as you had a job, as you worked, as you were in business and all those kind of things, the provision that came through the things, yeah, you might have worked very hard, you might do all those things, but the life that comes and the provision that comes, comes from God. And maybe this way of doing business or that job that you've had was now, um, it, it has now changed. The God that gives life has not changed. The God that gives life has not changed. He remains the same. And look at, look at David. Look at the people in the Old Testament. Look at Jesus. Look at the disciples. Look at the early church. God has provided. Glory to God. And he shall always provide. Now, let me read this again. He says here, this is surely he shall not be moved. He says, the upright man. The, 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 the righteous man shows favor and he lends. He's already got an attitude. And I like what it's saying here. The righteous man, what does he do? He gives to other people. Why does he do that? Why does he have that inclination? Let me be generous. It is the heart of God towards him that's born in him. That's why that person knows that the giving that I give, the, the love that I've shown to other people when it was going well with me financially, the God, the reason why he does that is because he knows that is how God is towards him. That's it. It is a fruit. See, righteousness uh, in the New Testament is not something we, where we do the law. It is an action because of what God exercised towards us. If I have always known that God has provided for me, God has cared for me, and that is why I can preach, why things, good things can, can, can be in my life, I, from that platform, I am good to others. Now, that is not a seed I've sown. Somebody say, that's a seed you've sown that you live off. Rubbish. It is the goodness of God that I live off. Even if I have not given, it is not an issue. God is our provider. And the person who knows that, he's not moved when he hears bad news because he knows God is the one that cares for him anyway. So it might be that our situation changes a bit, but our heart is fixed because we trust the Lord. Glory to God. Amen and amen. Please, in this time, never think, why is this bad thing happening to me? Maybe I, I stopped to believe in the sowing and reaping message or the tithing message, and now I might be going through a bit of a difficult time. Hey, let me tell you something, and this is the next point that I want to move to. The coronavirus, COVID-19 doesn't have eternal life. The COVID-19 does not have eternal life. It's a virus that will die. Just in itself, it does not possess eternal life. It's going to die. You're going to outlive it. You might say, but badly, the people that already died of it. They, those who've already died, will out, that believed in the Lord, will outlive 
the coronavirus. I promise you that. We have eternal life, church. And our eternal, the eternal life is not a spooky place somewhere. Eternal life is not some spiritual place somewhere. Eternal life is expressed in the resurrected Jesus. Jesus, before he died, he knew that he's the possessor of eternal life. He's the son of God. And yes, there was the, the voice that thundered that said, what if you get crucified? What if you die? And what did Jesus do? He says, on the third day, I'll be raised. His eyes was fixed on the Father, and his heart was not moved. His heart was stable because he was beholding the Father and what the Father has promised him. I want to tell you, the corruption that is in politics, Politics and in some politicians and this whole corrupt political systems of this world does not possess eternal life. It shall pass away. What is in you has got much more longevity than what the corrupt systems of this world has. The corruption and the systems of this world is subject to termination. It doesn't have eternal life in itself. It is a system of death of which the whole world is part of. And God has come to save us out of that. Because God knows that the systems of this world and the corruptions of this world is not eternal. And he sees that we are in it. He's come to save us out of it for it shall surely pass away. But we now have life. Glory to God. You might say, but Bertie, I'm not seeing all of that life in me now. But we see Jesus, who has said this, who has believed it, and who is raised from the dead, who has got the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we also have that now, and it is for the Spirit of God to manifest, man, manifest in us. It's not our job, we just rest. We need to realize that... The gospel is not the message of how Jesus did everything for us and how we must now try and get that to manifest. It is a rest in who he is. That is what this is, this is all about. I want to tell you, these, uh, Jesus also addressed the political system of his time. He also said things when the threat of death came his way. And I want to read that to you. Um, that is from Luke 13. Some of these Pharisees, I think they might have been some good Pharisees. They came to Jesus, and this is in Luke 13, 31. It says, the same day there came a certain of the Pharisees, saying to Jesus, get out of here and depart from here, for Herod will kill you. That will there means determines. I want to read it to you from the message. Um, paraphrase, it says, just then some of the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, run for your life. Herod is on the hunt. He's out to kill you. Now imagine that. Here the king decides to kill you. He's now got a plot to kill you. The king. It would be like the president of your country has now decided to kill you. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? Listen to what Jesus said to him. And Jesus said to them, you go. And tell that fox, that sly thief, you go tell that fox, behold, today and tomorrow I cast out demons 
and I cure people, but on the third day, it shall all be completed. The King James says, that's the modern King James, let me read the King James there. Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast our devils and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. My goodness. <laughs> what he was saying to Herod is this. Now, I'm still curing people here and there. And now, you might threaten to kill me. But I want to tell you, on the third day, I will be perfected. What he was saying is, you're going to have a perfect problem. The problem is that you can now threaten me with death, but I will be raised from the dead. And what I am under is much greater than what you can ever bring to me. And I shall not have my life shaped to the stupid threats of some fox. I have my life shaped to truth. That's what Jesus said. That is the perfection that he talks about there. If we go and read um, in Hebrews, I want to just make sure. I think it's in Hebrews 5. It just comes to my mind now. But it basically says, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And then he was perfected from where he becomes the author of salvation. He was not perfected through suffering. No. He the Bible says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. What that means is he suffered. It was just the way the writer of Hebrews was saying he suffered. And the suffering that he was suffering was in obedience to God. God said to him, listen, man, I want you to, I want you to take the sins of people upon you. And he went to the cross in obedience to God. But then he was perfected in the resurrection. That means that Jesus wasn't perfect before the resurrection. Oh, but he, uh, he wasn't perfect. He, he was subject to death. He could die. He could be tempted. He wasn't perfected. But he was perfected the day he was raised from the dead, from where he becomes the author of salvation, saving us now, so that we can have the hope of eternal life. Jesus was perfected in his resurrection. Glory to God. That is very, very uh, powerful. I want to just find that scripture for you quickly. Oh, why? I can't see it. But you know the scripture very well. It says that he learned obedience to the things that he has suffered, meaning he just obeyed the Father even in suffering. And was perfected. How was he perfected? He was raised and so he became the author of salvation. Jesus says to Herod. When Herod threatens him. I'm going to kill you. You know what he says? He says go tell the fox. That I shall be perfected. I shall be made immortal. How, what will you do to me? I'm your problem. I am greater than anything Rome can ever do to me. For my eyes are fixed on what the Father has promised me. He says, on the third day I will be raised. So what was Jesus' mindset in the presence of death? 
I shall be raised. That is his mindset. I shall be raised. And there's nothing that I'm going to try and do now to uh, uh, preserve my own life. I know my life is preserved in the voice of the Father. In the promise of the Father. When Jesus was in the desert, tempted of the devil, what was the devil's message to him? The devil's message to him is, well, if it is that you are a son of God, show some proof that you are the son of God. And Jesus said to him, we shall not live by bread alone. What we need in order to live is for the word, the promise that the Father has towards us to be fulfilled. So what he was basically saying is, I'm not going to try and flee from Herod to sow, try and save my own life. That's not what I'm going to do. But I'm going to go to Jerusalem, if you read on there, and because that is the place that's given for all the prophets to be killed by the very people God is speaking to. So he was saying to Herod, man, the, the problem is no, not so much you. I'm obeying the Father and I've got the promise of eternal life. I'm doing some signs and miracles today, but I shall be perfected. So I want to tell you, you cannot perfect yourself by having your business do business for another five years or ten years. You cannot perfect yourself by any of those things. We've got the word of perfection. We've got the spirit of perfection, which is the Holy Spirit poured out on us glory to god hallelujah i want to go to john 13 john 13 peter peter wants to be where jesus is john 13 36 simon peter said unto him lord where do you go? Jesus answered and said to him, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered and said, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Verily I say unto you, The cock shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Then Jesus goes on, he says, But Peter, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, but also believe in me. You see, why was Peter's heart troubled? Because his eyes was fixed on what he needs to do right now. And how he needs to, remember, Peter wasn't thinking of Jesus dying for my sins. and He didn't even believe in that. Peter didn't believe in that. He didn't believe in the gospel we believe in today. He was walking with Jesus. He was doing miracles in the name of Jesus and all those kind of things. And then he was very happy that the devils are subject to, um, to him in the name of Jesus. And he was basically thinking, oh, hallelujah, we are now having the Messiah here. And with all these signs and wonders in our pocket, we can now truly take over the political system of this world. And we can be, uh, we can end Rome's rulership over us because we've got something here. We've got a real good Messiah, the Jesus here. The sent one from God and we now going to take over this world and I am willing to even die for this because I want to see the kingdom of God established in this world through you Jesus. I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus said to him your heart is troubled because your heart is fixed in what you think you need to do in order to save the day. Don't let your heart be troubled. Peter, you in your ability you're going to deny me. 
Your ability doesn't work. You can't sort out this problem. You believe in God, but you're not believing that I can solve it for you. But you believe in God, but also believe in me. I'm going to do it. I will prepare a place for you, and then I will come and take you and put you where I am. And he's not talking about going to heaven one day. He's actually talking about being a possessor of eternal life bodily. He's talking about the perfection of his resurrection and wherein he is in his bod bodily born from the Father. He's saying to Peter, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a lot of place in eternal life for all of you, but I need to go and sit down as a human in at the right hand of God and take humanity into the Godhead and that's how I prepare a place for you that you can be a partaker of eternal life and then I by my spirit will see that you from your mortal condition will get into that place it is not for you it is for me to do it you trust me Peter's problem was a troubled heart and his heart was troubled with many things like Jesus said to uh, Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled with many things. Your heart is troubled with works. So what troubles us? What troubles our heart? What brings fear to our heart? The biggest thing in our heart, you can go and check yourself. The fear is, what am I going to do? Oh, if this and this happen, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Let me give you a testimony out of my own life. Um, we've we've gotten news from the television station that we have um you know we've got our own tv station which we broadcast 24 7 the grace message in south africa and now we got news from the owners of this whole platform i think they've got 200 and something stations and they said to us uh you know what um th th this is what they said they said it seemingly uh we don't know if it's the truth or what it is but seemingly during this COVID-19 time, people are not really paying their subscription. So obviously, they need to pay the satellite companies for their bandwidth. And now they're going to make some channels, going to broadcast less channels because they want to, they need to afford this, this bandwidth. And the channels they gave out for free, which is, we are one of those channels. Our airtime was just given to us 24-7 for free, um, which is an absolute miracle. And they basically said, well, they're going to close those channels down for now. So, I mean, I could have lived all the time saying, what if, I mean, they're giving us all this airtime for free. What if they one day take it away? I never lived in the what if when they take it away. It's just happening now that they're doing it. And what do we say in the situation? Thank God for the two or three years we could have broadcasted for free. Hallelujah. So bad, but Bertie, you know, uh, what if people don't hear the gospel, you know, Yay, I'm not God. I'm not God. It's God's job to work uh, uh, in their hearts and to lead them. The time where we could have preached and it was for free, glory to God. We're just doing it that way. And then if it's not there anymore, I mean, what can I do? Am I now going to try and pray this TV station into life now because now they, they, um, this is what's happening in the world? No, this is what's happening. And we have a, a hope and we expect that should things come right that they will offer it to us again and we'll be very happy if they do that glory to god but we're not going to lose some sleep over this thing we're not going to do that why 
because we're not scared of bad news. Why? Because our hearts is fixed on the one that was perfected. And he's come and pouring out his perfection and his life from that perfection on us. And this kingdom is not being, we're not building this kingdom with God kind of a thing, you know. It is God that brought forth a kingdom in this world and to the advancing of this kingdom there shall be no end by the doing of God. Hallelujah. It's not for me to try and pull up my socks and try and get the kingdom of God. You make yourself tired, man. Make yourself tired. I want to say to all the people, you know, you might have big churches, big buildings and all those kind of things, not knowing how to pay everything and not knowing what's going to happen and all those kind of things. Listen, don't let the thing destroy you. If you don't have the money to pay those things and they want to sell your things and close it down, let it be. <laughs> let it be. Just continue to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ for all the years that you've been in that building, the things that you, you've preached, you've helped people, you've been good to people, you know, and God has lived in you there. Why now kill yourself over it? It is God's church. Maybe some things are changing. Start to preach via the internet. If you don't want to do that, just preach to the folk that you have contact with. It's not a sin to have a small church. It's not a sin to have a small church. It's not a sin to uh, care for those that, that is within your ability and reach. And let us, let us not go and try and make things work in the name of Jesus. Working up enough faith. Let's be encouraged. Be encu you might say, but Bertie, you know, that is the most wicked thing that I've just heard. We need to stand up in the name of Jesus. Listen, Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one of my words will pass away. He said that without making any effort to ever write down one word. Can you show me where Jesus definitely wrote anything? You will say yes, but he wrote in the ground with a woman, you know, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and he was writing some things there. It never says that he wrote any word there. Could have just been bored scratching around some stones there or whatever. Some say he wrote this, some say he wrote that. that. That is speculation. That is speculation. Jesus was definitely not the highest educated man as pertaining to literacy of his day. He grew up as a carpenter's son. But what he was carrying in his mouth, he could read, I'm sure he could write, but to him, what he said had so much life in it that it could never die. He never even made any effort to write anything down. He knew it was so flooded with life that he can just say it. He went to small villages. Imagine this. If we want what we say to be recorded forevermore, are we going to now go to some small African village and preach it there and make no effort to even write anything down? And never command our disciples to even write it down. About 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the first documents were drawn up where they were writing things down. That's amazing. That is amazing. The word can never die. And the encouragement that I want to give to you today is, listen, the kingdom of God is not falling because your church closes. 
The church can never close, my friend. The church can never close. Maybe the way you've preached can change a bit. Maybe that building, you can go back into it in a year from now when things change. But you don't have to lose sleep over these things all the time. No. It's not for you to, to go. And another thing, just very practical. Please, as preachers, don't go and make, try and make something work by trying to build an internet ministry now. Don't you want to just rest a bit? Don't you just want to just say, Jesus, thank you that I could just... Don't you want to come to a place where you just from the, a pure heart just love on some folk? In my heart, the Holy Spirit has worked in me. I will not make one message on, the, on a camera or preach one message unless I feel inspired to do it. I'm not saying I'm preaching every day a message to encourage people because I might not feel to do it tomorrow. And then I have to, like, work up something. I'm not going to do that. I speak by the inspiration that God has put in my heart when I feel I want to do that. That's what I want to do. Even if I don't want to preach on a Sunday, I will broadcast an old message. But I'm not going to do and live from this, from this, I must make the kingdom work. It's not going to work. Let us not, let our hearts not be troubled. Let our hearts not be troubled. It's not about how we lay down our lives for the kingdom. It's about how God has come to give us life in the kingdom. Hebrews 13. Let your conversation, is, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let your conversation not be with covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. Th that is so beautiful to me. You know, now I know that can also talk about just be happy in the situation with whatever stuff you have. But if you take that word whatsoever you have, it means whatsoever is close to you. And then he goes on and he says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, meaning he's close to you. So he says, let not your conversation be with covetousness. Don't go and say, I, I, I just hope I can have this thing and I can have that thing. Hey, be happy with what is close to you. That money might be far from you. That business deal might be far from you. That another job might be far from you. But what is close to you is God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me read it again. Let not your conversation be with covetousness or a desire for stuff. But be happy with what is close to you. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we say boldly, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man, what can man do unto me? <laughs> can you see Hebrews is having this whole concept of the perfection of the resurrected Jesus and perfection towards us. We cannot die and that includes our bodies but Bertie, what if we die god calls it sleep calls it the nap that's what he calls it we have eternal life we've got the one that has conquered death close to us and i'm happy with the one that is close to me 
He says here, talks about money. He's talking about mar- uh, 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 money things here. He's talking about the normal things of this world. He's saying, listen, don't worry about these things. I've said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What shall man therefore be able to do unto you? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. Look at the lilies of the field. They have life and they are clothed by grace, not their works. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for Israel they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of what God has done is still, I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing what's written there now for they ignorant or ignoring what God has freely given them in Jesus are going about to try and get Jesus to manifest that is what is basically said there he says for Christ is the end of the law but they are still trying to bring forth the end of the law which is the Christ or the Messiah church there's nothing we need to try and do you know Practical. Let, let's, let's be very practical about this. Um, when a bad thing comes your way, what do we do if you want to do something? You just say to God, help. That's it. And you rest. You behold the resurrected Jesus. Don't behold your problem and see how's God going to sort out my problem. Just go and think of the resurrected Jesus. He's above death. He's above sin. Oh God, you know, um, look, look at what's happening in the politics. I mean, he, you guys don't want to know what's going on in South African politics. It is crazy. Look at that. What, what do you do? I'm not looking at how Jesus is going to sort out the politics because I don't need the politics to change in order for me to have life. I just behold the resurrected Christ. I see a human perfected at the right hand of God. I see his life is my life. I see as I behold the fullness of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I see it as, as, as in me. And I see how I'm being changed into the very same image by beholding that image. So the life that we so many times think we will have by the things of this world is already freely given to us. We don't have to go over land and sea to have life. We don't need the newest car. We, a man's life does not consist out of the abundance of his possessions. His life consists out of Jesus. And I want to tell you this, as I've as I looked at that, I find that it brings a peace and a calmness to me in this world that makes a person also in this world not have nothing. A person that is mindful of the resurrected Christ and his finished work, you find that he is at peace. He can make good decisions as pertaining to a job. He, when he goes for an interview, let's take it very practically. If you go for an interview, if you're now looking for another job, you've lost your job, but your eyes are focused on Jesus and not the job, you will find that when you go and speak to that boss, when you go for that interview, it is not from the perspective of you trying to make it work, putting pressure into the situation, saying things that you're not supposed to say, uh, having a bad interview. No. You will go with the peace of God 
Because you know God is your source. And when you go and speak, you're not going to try and fabricate things that's not truly who you are. And you will speak from a, a heart of rest. And God will in such a way provide for you a job. And as long, it might take a time for God to do that. You know, his, his things are being sorted out. But in the meantime, He will still care for you. You will still eat. Some of us might still struggle to lose weight during that time. How do we know? You know, but one thing we know is God provides for us. Be encouraged, church. Be encouraged. We are the church, the body of the Christ. Man. Hallelujah. Coronavirus doesn't have eternal life. Corruption and in, in these politics and things, it doesn't have eternal life. I want to tell you, neither democracy nor socialism or any of those things has got eternal life. Let, let me get very radical. We so much want to protect our constitutions. If you, I'm not saying you should not do that. I'm not saying you should not uh, make your stand in this world. Do what you feel the Lord leads you to do. But know this, if the constitution needs your life to, to have it safe, how can it save you? It's then in the need of the life of mortals to keep it going. How can it provide life for you? It can never. Your eyes on the wrong thing. If your eyes on, let us keep the constitution. In a thousand years from now, if Jesus has not returned, I want to promise you the South African constitution will not be there anymore. The US constitution will not be there anymore. It's going to be gone. It's going to change. It is subject to change because it is, it's, it's made by man. It's man's wisdom. But I want to tell you the wisdom of God. The Bible says, and Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God. Not our constitution. Our constitution is not the wisdom of God. Neither communism nor democracy is the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. God decided the wisest thing you can ever do is to be informed about God's life in the physical man, Jesus Christ. But that, you know, we need to be informed in this world. Well, I, I agree. You know, we can, we, we can be informed. Read your news article. But if those things cause fear in your heart, if those things cause you to walk with stress all day, get out of your life. And I want to define informed. Informed, true information, is the knowledge of God. Some of us are so informed that we are not informed at all. We are informed about our situation. We are informed about the things of this world. What about being informed that you are the righteousness of God in Christ? What about being informed that you are a possessor of immortality? What about being informed that Jesus is the president of the whole world? What about the information that we cannot be kept safe by our constitutions, but by Jesus Christ? What about the information where we behold the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the face of Jesus Christ and we behold that as the word of God's promise towards us? What about that info? I think sometimes we need to switch a lot of the things off and go and pray to God and look at the resurrected Jesus so that we can be informed. Let God inform us. You know, we've had this, 
I, I'm just honest. I think what has happened so many times with politics and those kind of things and the excuse of being informed is we were actually so having our focus on and our uh, heart into life comes from what's happening around me that we've used the excuse of we cannot just be like an ostrich putting our head in the sand and now we are all the time wanting to be informed because we are anxious not knowing how we're going to get this thing to produce life for us. Yay. Let's get our eyes on Jesus, man. The way you get your eyes on Jesus is not by quoting four verses. It's by beholding the physical Jesus. Beholding what has happened in the resurrection and the reality and the truth thereof. We need to come to a place where we need to deal with the resurrection of Jesus, the way the apostles dealt with it. They thought Jesus was this political leader that's going to help them to bring in God's constitution, which was the law. Of Moses, that's what they thought. And then the guy died. And then he was bodily raised, walked here for some days, and then ascended on high. Now that messes up your whole way of thinking, but it's something we need to deal with. God, what does that mean? What does it mean for us today? What has a, a physical God decided that the only way we can have true salvation is by raising Jesus from the by, by him raising Jesus from the dead and giving him as our Messiah. But Bertie, do you know what 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 this political party say? Tell those foxes that today we live and we preach the gospel, and tomorrow we shall be made perfect. <laughs> Hallelujah! Glory to God. Well, I've preached it a bit longer than what I planned to preach, but I trust this has encouraged you. Let us not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of that time, trying to work up our own righteousness, willingly ignoring the resurrected Jesus. What we seek by working up our own system so many times, what we seek by that has already been given. What we think is on the other side of a peaceful political system has already been given to us in the resurrected Jesus. But Bertie, it looks as if you're not trying to face reality. No. Go and ask God what's real. Go and ask God what's true. Go and ask God what is eternal. Why? Have our lives shape, shaped by something that is only for a moment. Oh, but Beth, you know, we are physical, you know, there's a real world. Do you want to tell me Jesus is not real? Do you want to tell me his body is not real? He's got no bones in the grave. The problem is our theology became such a spiritual theology wherein it is about our spirits departing from our bodies and where our spirits go to a, a heaven somewhere which is a non-physical, non-material place to a certain degree as measured to physicality today that we cannot see that God can save this world. But what the message of the gospel is, is that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and that flesh was perfected. There's no bones in the grave. Glory, some people say, but the resurrection means something else. There's only one definition for resurrection to me. No bones in the grave. And the body living forever. 
in the fullness of the glory of God. That is the definition of eternal life and that is the definition of resurrection. And I want to tell you, God didn't come to play games. He came to bring eternal life to this world. And as we behold this truth, we find we live and we flourish even in the midst of all these things. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of the persuasion that he was raised and that we, his promise to us is resurrection. But, you know, what's going to happen in the end? What's going to be, uh, I, I'm scared, what's going to happen in the end? This is what Jesus said. John 6. This is, a, this is his job. His job is that everyone that the Father gave him, that he would raise him up in the last day. So why shall we stress as if Jesus is not going to do his job? <laughs> he is the president. He is the king. He is the Lord. We are in this world. But the life we have is not of this world. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your life. I thank you that we can behold Jesus raised from the dead. The one with eternal life. And that we are the possessors of eternal life. Lord, we cannot have our lives shaped by our view on viruses and our view on politics and all those kind of things for those are temporal things the, the viruses doesn't have eternal life the pol political systems doesn't have eternal life our constitutions doesn't have eternal life but you have and we are today looking at what is eternal and what is true and we we see that as our destination and we see the power that brings us to it is you and not us. Therefore, we have peace today. Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you so much that I could just share this good news with you today. I trust that it has encouraged you. Share it with some friends. People need it. Amen.